All right, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. Uh, my name is Chris Denson. I'm your gracious host. Uh, and if you are tuning in for the first time, that's too bad. But if you are a regular listener, you probably already know that uh, this show covers all things marketing, media, innovation, ideas, technology, um, whatever I, tickles my fancy and hopefully tickles a few other people's fancies. What does it mean, tickling fancies? I was trying to dissect that recently. Anybody? We're going to start there. <laughs> Tickling fancies. <laughs> um, but let's uh, let's really get started with uh, just a round of introductions. Today I have um, a really good group of guests kind of focusing the content and media space, um, all glued together by a gentleman on my left by the name of Derek Smith. Do you want to say hello, Derek? Hello, hello, hello. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. All right. Um, so tell us a little bit about who you are. You have on a really good T-shirt, li- uh, literally. Oh, it's a- yeah, this is... Good. Good. The magazine, publisher, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I, I I run a group out of New York called Talk NYC. Just recently moved back to Los Angeles to start a similar group called Talk LA. We're focused on the intersection between Madison Avenue and Silicon Valley. And this is an exciting time to be in Los Angeles. And we're doing some really cool things on the ground here to rally the tech, digital and marketing ecosystem. It's lofty. That's a lofty goal. It is. <laughs> to say Good least. luck. That's why you haven't shaven. He's just uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I talked to him this morning. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm frazzled. What's it? What are we doing? Um, but I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Um, and let's continue to go. What is this? Clock? Is this counter? This clockwise. It's clockwise. Yes. Right. Right. Clockwise. There you go. Margie Gilmore. Hi, Margie. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I think it's more fatherhood <laughs> for Dara. Exactly. That's all in the mix. <laughs> Disheveled. Disheveled, yes. Yeah, that's, that's what you call this. So I am currently with Disney Interactive, and for the past four years, I've been developing original content for digital platforms that are extension of Disney IP or even some brand new stories we've come up with. And um, prior to that, I was at doing a similar thing for Scripps and Food Network, coming up with the digital um, content for all of their on-air celebrities and, and shows. Nice. Been in this space for a while. Good good stuff. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last but not least, Andy too. Hey, guys. I'm Andy too. I run marketing for Defy Media. Defy is one of the largest programmers for millennials as well. Uh, we own a bunch of popular websites and YouTube channels, Smosh, Break, a few others. You personally own them? No, not personally. <laughs> uh, no, but but uh, the company does and uh, run marketing on both the consumer side. Uh, so how you know fans of ours connect with us and also the B2B side. That's, that's, that's also a, a lot of work. Oh, you guys are busy. I'm, thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. Happy to be here. Um, one of the common themes, at, at least for me, that just kind of rang true was this idea of uh, developing communities, right? Like you're developing one, Derek, around bringing people together for idea exchange and information distribution, um, while, you know, Margie and Andy are more in the traditional sense of building communities around content and, you know, like you said, both businesses and, you know, audiences. Um, what are some of the, the I guess, the the nuances and or rules around building an audience, right? Just like a, a little bit of a one oh one question, but uh, I can start with you, Derek, because I think you're you're coming into a space newly from the East Coast um, to a place where there is a lot of exactly the intersection you're talking about. Uh, but what sort of steps have you taken to sort of develop, start developing this this audience and community around what you're doing? Sure. I'm fortunate in that we've done smaller scale events here in the past, 
so there there is a little bit of a foundation. This is the first time we're doing like a full scale you know, conference in Los Angeles, our digital storytelling conference, which is you know happening next month. And you know, in terms of community building, it's hard when you come into a new place. I mean, you know, I think the the, the number one thing that you want to do in the case of you know sort of you know building a program or a conference, you know, is really understand where the disconnects are. And I think in you know, the digital marketing ecosystem, what ends up happening is that you have all of these like fabulous, like creative people doing really interesting things and Thank projects. You. And <laughs> the, the problem is it's very rare that they step outside of their own box to connect and, you know, you know, converse with people who are doing you know, similar things, but maybe in a different space, but they both are shooting for the same outcome. And so the opportunity and what we're doing, you know, with Talk LA and Engage, the Digital Storytelling Conference is really bringing together, you know, folks who have a serious investment in succeeding in digital to step outside of their box to talk about their work, but also um, ways that they may collaborate and partner. And, um, yeah, so that's that's really how right. I look at community buildings, really understanding where the disconnects are and the disconnects are that these people rarely ever have time to, like, you know, step outside of their box. I think you're starting to see more of that in markets like Los Angeles and New York where you get the cross-industry collaboration. But I think that is really the, the, the starting point for us. Well, I also think you, you, we're moving in the space of, like, you know, where you it's – we're moving away from competition, where, you know, where normally people from – competing companies or organizations or, you know, varying efforts might not be in the same room together. You know, I'm curious as to, you know, even in that idea of community building, how the two of you, Andy and Margie, go about approaching collaboration versus competition. You know, uh, Defy has a portfolio of companies that probably connect to one another. Similarly with with Disney, where you go out and you acquire content versus what you're producing, you know, on your own in-house. But like, what is the some of the theories around, um, you know, that idea of what, what Derek just touched on of, of collaboration? I mean, for me, you know, when you say community building around new IP, it's an audience, right? right? And, you, and, and what's going to bring an audience together. So that's one thing. But for me, my role is primarily as executive producer and bringing content to fruition. And what I found is the most precious community is, is starting with a community of cr- creatives, and and creating an environment. First of all, you want to find the right people who are creating from the right space, who who care about what direction you're going in. You know, it's really authentic and organic for them. And then you need to, especially in a company like Disney, create the space for them to create and to stay in their um, in sort of their zen and 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 connecting with one another. Right. You know, it's a really it's a sacred space. I've had an opportunity to work with Richard Sherman. Um, and we've written two songs um, together for different projects that we've done. One was a, a small world animated series, and then nice. we're, we have something in development that's the story, the backstory to the. Are you a vocalist show. as well? Is, are we going to get a little Margie on on keys he, and vocals today? He let me sing. <laughs> oh, really? The demo, and it was a very short lived, very short lived. He was like, "You just ruined my song," but but he sort of reminded me of in in the early days of Walt Disney. 
you when you were in the room creating and writing for Mary Poppins, you couldn't come in and just criticize. If you had something to say that was against an idea was out there, you needed to have a better idea to put forward. It was just a more civilized, not civilized, but um, you know, it's obviously they're they're creating legendary content, but it was um, they they just honored and respect the creative process. And I think in the digital space where it's been so fast, you just have to move really fast, and you got to get there, you just have to do it. That we haven't had the time to sit back and really, really understand how long it truly takes to create content right. that's going to affect generations to come. So from a community standpoint, for me, it is how do you create the environment? How do you collect the creatives and how do you create the environment for the creative people to do their best work, especially in the digital environment where it's our roots are the right. fast lane. Right. You're empowering the the champions, right? Like you're empowering the, the people that are creating this stuff to actually be excited about talking about it and sharing and then growing there. Right. And, and it's, yeah. there's two things because, you know, um, Derek was saying everything's moving so fast. But the thing that can't you can't rush is the creative. I mean, there's a reality, you know, of deadlines and in an ads in an advertising right. space you can. But when you're really telling stories and you're really being true to the development of this, it takes a little bit of time. So that's what I focus on from the community of creatives. And and I feel like my most important role is getting the right kinds of people and creating the environments for them. And then as far as an audience, you know, at Disney, we have an advantage where we can start with developing, we have a, a short um, film that has won a, new, a number of awards this year. It just got into the Santa Barbara International Film Festival called Blank. And it's a stop motion based on these Vinylmation characters. And they had a very strong fan base hmm. at Disney Parks when we decided to work with these little um, pieces of merchandise. Right. They had a, fanatics who collect these things. So you're starting with a base. And you play to that base, and then you expand out. We eventually did a deal with Google Play, and they distributed this on Valentine's Day as a gift to their worldwide audience. It was a stop motion. There was I no know dialogue. Well. I know we, very well. Right, right. Yep. So, so that was where we we used a Little D Disney mm-hmm. brand. You know, we weren't talking with Pixar and you know trying to fight with these precious brands. The Parks was so happy for us to work with Vinyl Nation. Right. This was marketing for them. Um, and then we had a base and, and it grew from there and we had great international, it was received internationally so well right away. There's no dialogue that helped. Um, so that was my, that's sort of a, an advantage that I like to take advantage of at Disney is to start with an existing fan base. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, something you said about the, the creator driven community, I don't think you see that, uh, anywhere for more defined than YouTube, right? It's like, it's sure. typically and by and large, it's creators that are on the platform that are creating content for the platform. It's not biz dev people, right. Who say we want to expand into these channels. Let's go find some creators. So it's, it's different than a lot of the mediums that have been here before it. And it started with this idea of collaboration. So you have creators working with creators and, you know, a lot of people have said, YouTube is a closed ecosystem. The, the more time that goes on, and so there's this coopetition right. at the top, especially coopetition. I like that. I'm sure it's an industry jargon. I just must have missed somewhere. No, and I think a lot of us have that because I think, <laughs> right. it, in, in, especially as we look towards, you know, I think the younger end of the spectrum of creators who want to emerge know that part of the way they're going to do that is by tapping into and finding innovative ways to work with some of right. these bigger creators. And, and it's a fun ecosystem to see play out because they don't look at it necessarily as what's best for ad dollars or what's best for the view count of their episode. They look at it as what's best for the community and who are the people that kind of play nice right. in that ecosystem, which has been very fun to see. So whether, 
you know, where you, where you started, whether it's in your own ecosystem, can you find those yeah. bridges between one thing and another thing or the outside world? Can you find people that your audience might like, but you don't have a ton of crossover? And it's been interesting to see that play out. Yeah, no, it's great. It's um, it's really interesting in terms of, again, just that idea of collaboration and creation, especially when you're in a free space, right? It's it's creating without uh, without pressure. <laughs> and like I run an innovation team for a fairly large media agency, and we have a pretty large portfolio of clients all at different levels of development. And so we're switching gears, you know, 10, 15 times a day just to, you know, to be creative and be spontaneous. And it's like, it's those ones you get to go back to a week later, a month later and go, ah, now, you know, I have that thing that I wanted to add to it. And and then you go back to that partner that you can find that can help you do that. Um, let's talk about engagement. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, Derek, go. No, then, is, then we'll talk about engagement. Well, no, this is an interesting point <laughs> because you know, Margie talked about you know, focusing on the creative community as a base. And I think you sort of built on that, um, Andy. And, you know, having the right environment for them to be collaborative and creative. And I think what there's been a lot of talk about risk and embracing it in all, you know, layers of the, you know, sort of creative process, whether it's product tech driven or um, creative, like having the right sort of framework or environment that embraces risk to be really and purely creative. And, you know, while I understand that creativity takes time and it, 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 is, it, it is its own long drawn out process, I think in this new sort of media environment, we have to rethink and, you know, you know encourage new types of behavior that, you know, say it's OK to fail with a yeah. creative idea and it, it can be an iterative process while in market. And how does that work in, you know, with this idea of community building and you know, the, the, the constituencies that you work with? Yeah. And, that, and but I think you touched on something really interesting is, uh, you know, I'll ex- expand on that um, is just, yeah, the piloting process, right? Mm-hmm. The television pilots used to be, are, are, are very expensive. Um, and that process is changing, you know, probably over the last eight, seven, you know, eight or nine years, um, has moved away from it. But in the digital space, the piloting and the risk that you're talking about is like, hey, what, what can we try that's going to be new and interesting, but is, uh, a manageable amount of risk to, to test out and, and push innovation. Is there a question? <laughs> well, you, you, I, I think your question was kind of like, how, like, how do you I mean, manage the risk part of it yeah. versus Look, the real business deliverable? You know, Amazon won a Golden Globe last night. And to me, that is sort of, the, there's the intersection of technology and storytelling. Sure. And I think um, there is uh, obviously the risk from the story they decided to tell right. the community that they were reaching out to. You know, it was a it was a bold, good move. And um and I think it was really important for them to do this their first time out. And it was a it's a great program, transparency. So I think there's risk from what are you going to tell stories about? And then there's risks for what are you going to invest in? So my next project, I want to invest in technology and we want to tell a story using an animatronic lead. And for that, we're going and we're going to be developing something that's never been developed before to tell this story. So there's so many different versions of the risk you're going to take because I'm going to go all in on the technology. Right. 
um, and telling story with the technology that's the innards of the content, not the technology of the distribution platforms. Right. So, um, yeah, so. <laughs> Where is there room for risk when yeah, it comes exactly. to creativity in, in, in that process of, you know, coming up, developing and cultivating you know, the idea other thing is, to market? The other thing is, I'm sorry that I'm going to um, reference the Golden Globes because I know yeah. you tired dads couldn't watch them. <laughs> but, <laughs> the other thing is Boyhood that won was a 13-year project. And so there was an investor who had to give money every year for 13 years for who knows what. And it was a fantastic way to tell a story that was so compelling right. and real. And so I think it's just, you know, you, you, you follow your gut, you, you make sure, you know, you take a risk and you stay committed because there's testing, you know, you can put things out there and we can test things pretty cheaply and pretty quickly, talent or concepts mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. But then there's also, you know, having the the perseverance to believe you know past whatever our attention span is in this space which isn't that long but but you know can you persevere and can you believe in this creative that resonated with you for the you know the first time right. you heard it for as long as it takes to really tell the story for mass consumption yeah um so that's the other risk to be patient Sure. With with something and and to you know to be able to soothe your investors or you know give the confidence to whoever needs to hear about that all the time. And thirteen years is a lot of patience, right? Like I mean, I know that's an extreme, but we had a woman named Andy Timoner on, who's a award winning documentarian, won Sundance uh, several times, but you know she said. Her best films took seven, eight, nine, ten years to make, and it's the ones that you know she does like these miniseries online that do okay, right? But the, but it's the ones that are the epic storytellers or storytelling that you know take some time and nurturing and cultivating, and you got to be on the journey with the story. You know, you find that in businesses as well, right? Where you know um, businesses and startups grow and they iterate and become new and different things, right? And I've also found that um, some of the stories that are really standing out now uh, are told by people who lived them. You know, it's yep. not someone imagining how it is. And so that takes a while to to find the stories and find the people who can tell them and support them in a way to bring it to fruition the way you need to, to bring it to mass audiences. Very true. So, um, you know, there's an authenticity in, in finding where the real is yeah. and, and telling it from... That vantage point, you know, it's certain kind of storytelling. Yeah, and I, I think, think. Andy, you're like you're managing a lot of risk, right? I mean, you know, um, and before you chime in on this, can you just kind of give us a, a couple of examples of what's in the Defy portfolio? Totally. I got a really cool T-shirt. Yeah, you got a T-shirt. We, we can even start there because I think it's it's getting to be less risk than you would imagine. And when I say that, it's because you mentioned Netflix, you mentioned Amazon, you mentioned all these people that are disrupting the traditional TV model, and I've never worked in TV development. But I imagine that that process is changing and they're taking a little bit more risk when they see something like last night play out. In our world, what... You know, uh, I think those of us that have been in the digital space for a while, um, we don't love it when people just think we're we're five guys with a camera and we're just willing to try anything. <laughs> and if anything, I think we're trying. We're, our our tolerance for risk is getting to be a little less over time because we have established audiences that we cater to. You mentioned authenticity. We want to stay true to those audiences. Right. When you talk to some of these creators who 
I think major media wants to portray as rogue and they'll do whatever and you'll kind of be amazed at what they can put online and they'll watch. It's it's not true. As time goes on, right. you know, we think about it. I gave you guys a T-shirt for Prank It Forward, big program that we launched last year that was about pranks for good. And in the last sort of hallmark prank that we did in November, we gave a woman a house and we you know hid cameras. She what came. a horrible prank. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so she comes into she's a she's a housekeeper in Cleveland, Ohio. She comes in under the guise that she's going to clean this house to get it ready for a party that night. And while she's cleaning the house over the course of her shift, all these amazing things happen. She has to test the food for that night's party. It happens to be from this big chef in, in Cleveland. She ends up uh, getting a back massage from guys that are supposed to work the party that night that need to, I'm using air quotes here, they need to loosen their hands up. So she has this amazing experience. And then finally, uh, she gets these boxes delivered. The boxes get delivered and she starts opening the boxes because her boss who hired her that day says, hey, can you help me unpack these? And she unpacks them and says, this is my stuff, which is the stuff from her house. And she says to the mover, what's going on? I can't believe this is happening. Uh, why is all my stuff here? He said, I've got some stuff out in the truck that might help. Lifts the back of the truck. Her kids come out. Mm. Then the host of the show says, um, actually, I'm here to tell you that uh, what your family doesn't know and what you don't know is that this is actually your house. And so they go to her backstory and we've, you know, uh, um, <laughs> pulled this whole thing off. And our tolerance for risk is actually very low. We would not like that if it weren't successful. We're making a big investment in that. We're right. working with brands and we want to make sure that that thing's not a flop. We've done everything from the time of year to the pacing of the video to the timing of the video to the way it's shot to make sure we're in pole position for that thing to get pitched. And you know, it was on the Today Show. It was on GMA. It was all over the internet. And we love that feeling, but it doesn't happen on accident. And right. it's not this freaky, mm-hmm. you know, viral doesn't happen on accident. Mm-hmm. And so I think the more time goes on, it's not as risky as people think if you know what you're doing or you have an ecosystem that you can help launch some stuff. Yeah, I think viral happens on accident if it's an accident. <laughs> True. Right. I see, we see that too. Like Paul, right? When I was at Food Network, one of our most successful videos was when Paula Deen's pants fell down because of her Spanx. And her, <laughs> <laughs> she was on stage and the, the packet for the microphone. I think Google is just about, it just went crazy right now. Yeah. I mean, that's, the be- that's also the beauty of, of the space that we're into, right? Like Ohio State side guy. It's amazing. Yeah, right? you, you, know, know, you, you never you, know, right? Right. And and that that's a lot of fun that we, we can have those moments as well. Do you, uh, do you guys ever try to apply any science to viral? Like, do you go, oh, well, the formula X or we th- like you, you have a feeling or is it because, you know, a lot of times a client, right? You work with brands, you work with brands, I would assume, um, go, you know, oh, we want to make a viral video, which is an impossible task like you just mentioned. Oh, my gosh. But, <laughs> but you know, what sort of science do you kind of take and, and put in to get it as close to viral as possible? Um a lot. <laughs> I think uh, we spend a bunch of time looking at uh, take view count or view count that's happening in almost real time. For example, if we launch a, a video like Breaking Forward is a good example. Day one, day two, you might go to the internet publication, so it's going to blow up on Mashable or BuzzFeed and start to hit the social networks. Then there's a draft and a trail for what we might see in major, what would be traditional major media coverage like GMA or Today So. And they say everybody calls us to put their, our content on air. Call us when it's viral. So you have to wait in that you know seventy two hour window to right. call those guys, and so things like that, you're really trying to pay close attention to when are some of these things hitting and catching traction and taking off, so that you can put yourself. So basically, in. they just want to jump on the bandwagon. They don't want to. Nobody, well, they yeah. don't want to take risk. They don't want to necessarily take <laughs> risk, and I don't think they sit there all day and and start to you know. You can laugh through. out loud, Derek. They're just laughing. He's being, <laughs> like, being private with it. I don't think they want to cruise through everybody's social feeds and you know start to latch onto videos that have a thousand views and right. put it on the Today Show. They got a lot of airtime that's sacred. Makes sense. 
You know, I mean, I I like shareable. You know, it's like people share. I just watched this. You're going to love it and sharing it, whether it's right. on their Facebook or their Twitter or emailing it or however they're going to share it. Um, so we're going for that. And then, you know, I think that one of the things that we've learned is um, when we were breaking things up and trying to have uh, a serial serialized show um, just so that we could get people coming back and Right. Um, and consuming two minute episodes. But I think you just have to be true to the content where if it's actually a better experience, this is what we did with Blank. If it's a better experience to watch it all together, then you need to release it in a way that best serves the content. Sure. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't have much in the way of a secret sauce for creating a viral video. I think it's actually a funny thing. It's like, saying, no, it is funny, but, but, but you do like an Oscar winning movie. <laughs> like it's right. But, but there are certain, you know, there are certain rules of production or programming or storytelling at least in, in terms of how audiences engage, right? There's, there's some signs that you can apply to it um, without a hundred percent abandoning the, the creative process that you talked about earlier, right? It's, oh, for sure. I mean, I yeah. think you can embrace it. You know, sure. um, we, we've got lots of great Disney songs that we can have different people sing or mash it up in various different right. ways. And those are usually sure bets to get right. a lot of, a lot of attention. Featuring yourself. Yeah. On the <laughs> but it also gives you the Let chance. It go. I, think, <laughs> I think it gives you the chance to be nimble where you can be nimble, which is in, in, in our world, I think we have a lot more liberty to do where you see something happening Good or bad, right? We've right. had we've had shows, by the way, that have, that have either launched or been in a groove, and something didn't go quite right. And so our audience let us know. Hey, I don't love Man at Arms is a show that we have. It's right. about every week a blacksmith builds a, a weapon from pop culture. Such a cool show. We um, changed blacksmiths, and we did a little bit of a different take because realistically, we were just running out of a lot of these weapons. So right. in episode 40, there just weren't that many swords left to build, so we did some hypothetical mashups of weapons that didn't exist. So what if you know, Wolverine and Batman had Batarang claws? And uh, in pretty short order, it was clear that the audience didn't have an appetite for that. Like, boo! And that, but that audience specifically, right? Like, is... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I say that, but I, and I, I, I joke, but I, I, I worked at Machinima for a while. Sure. And it was that very thing. Like, when you're dealing with certain audiences, especially fanboys, like, they will let you know immediately mm-hmm. yeah. whether something is working or and not. And I think you have to you have to differentiate between what is trolly internet venom versus is there some good in there and is this really off-putting or is this something you can build off of? And I think in a lot of cases, it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, and like you said, in the fanboy community, you, you hear a lot more of that yeah. noise. But we ended up being able to make some shifts and bring that show. And it's not like we just let it go or we just let it you know die on the vine. We actually able, were able to uh, optimize towards different kinds of weapons and, and right. it's off to the races. We're, we're happy about where we are. You want to chime in? Well, I, I just think 60 to 75% of it is like really good content. And mm-hmm. then, you know, a quarter of it is the good strategy and the execution of like being able to get yeah. that content out in terms of it being viral. Right. No, I mean, long gone are the days no of like if, if you make it, they will come, right? Like it's, if you make it and you market it, they might come, right? Um, uh, I wanted, I was starting to talk a little bit about engagement and because um, I think you talk about community, you talk about audience development, the creative process, and then keeping an audience. Um, but I wanted to start with you, Derek, because you, you, you know, you, you have a series of events and an organization, Engage LA. Um, how do you define engage? Right. That's a really good question. I think 
given the technology and content that's in market right now, I think we all have to ask that question. What does it mean to engage someone? Is it them playing a video? Is it them liking content? Is it them tweeting about content? Is them caring? Like, <laughs> like Well, exactly. I think, yeah. I, I think we're at a point where you know, marketers and technologists have to sort of move beyond that. And this is part of the reason behind bringing Margie and Andy together around Engage LA because I think you know, there's just so many different content forms out there that it really is about the end user, the audience, um, or the the person sort of you know watching that content through their device and having a new metric that defines what does it mean to connect with that person. It's not about you know. And, and I'd be interested in hearing your perspectives because I don't think it's just about, you know, sort of just quantifying like, you know, X amount of likes or X amount of like watch throughs. It's really about having an experience uh, for the viewer or end user in place and capturing them in a compelling kind of way and getting them to shift or change their behavior to do something different that they may not have done, you know, had they not connected or, you know, watched your content. Um, so, that's what we're trying to do. That's a conversation that we're trying to have at Engage LA is it's really about what's the next next when it comes to, um, you know, quantifying and measuring, um, you know, engagement yeah. between the publisher and the, 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 the viewer or user. It's interesting at Disney, we, you know, we, we look a lot of, about how um, audiences, how their affinities will manifest, mm-hmm. right? So it used to be, and I will now wear my t-shirt that I got today. <laughs> for, for prank it forward. But, you know, kids today are not so apt to wear big logo shirts. You know, I've done a lot of focus groups and I have high school kids around. Kids and today. Yeah. Kids, they, they, <laughs> but I'll it. tell you what they will do when they love something. They'll tattoo it. And so it's really understanding. I mean, first of all, engage. You want someone to engage, you know, a viral video. That's fine if everyone entertains. But like, what's the what what? So what how did it? do what you wanted to do sure. ultimately if it's going to then they're going to be more apt to watch the next thing with that star or what have you but you know at Disney you want people who want to build franchises so you want people to have contact with the IP or the franchise in lots of different ways right. and I think it's really understanding um, understanding the audiences who become fans and how they like to um, play with what their affinities are and so uh, it, it seems now it's much from a um, merchandising standpoint, um, there's a preference for more subtlety around that. And it's kind of a, you know, a secret club. So if there's symbols, if you look at, um, I mean, Harry Potter and Hunger Games and these kinds of things, they're symbols that people attach onto. And, and uh, so I think it's, it's understanding what the tastes are of, of what you want them to, first of all, identifying what you, how you want them to engage and how you want them to identify the affinity towards right. this and then um, and then providing the the tools the creative the whatever it is I would think they, I also think audiences surprise you right they surprise you at what they do when they do like like the tattoo I'd, I'd never heard that as a you know a real social metric of engagement right like you know i've seen cool tattoos of things that people like um but actually there's a friend of mine who started uh he has a startup which is all dedicated to fanboys and their tattoos like it's that's the Mm -hmm. that is the the website 
huge engagement. He does really, really well. But again, like, you know, when a series like, oh, send us your fan art and they get a ton more fan art than they ever would have imagined. So there is a bit of a surprise element as much as you can be predictive around what, you know, you what you think an audience would like here. Here's these tools. Do this because we know we know this kind of like your tendency. But then there's always like you read, uh, you know, I'm always a big fan of like reading the comments on any Internet post. And it's like, wow, people are awesomely funny and defensive and creative at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that level of creativity is it's amazing to see when it works in your favor and and especially the younger end of the spectrum, right? So if you think about 15-year-olds or people that have always grown up with an internet connection, they've been able to watch whatever, they've been able to download whatever, sometimes legally, sometimes not legally, right. and they're way of expressing themselves is by throwing a meme on top of something or posting in their social feed. And I take Smosh as as the thing that I've been able to see firsthand closest. It's unbelievable. There's a lot of Smosh tattoos out there. A lot, I should say. There's a handful of Smosh tattoos, which is a lot because I think there's... It is a lot. I mean, for tattoos, like a handful is a lot. Like it's, you know, it's a a commitment. We we have a wall at our office. It's not a t-shirt. We have a wall at our office that we just started throwing. We have to get a good tattoo now. (laughs) The t-shirt isn't going to do it He actually has that same tattoo under Uh, the shirt. Right, right. Uh, no, it, it, we, we have this wall at our office that's just stuff that's come from the community. And so it is hilarious. I mean, people who have baked cakes and people who have a girl in Montana took uh, Ian, who's one of the, the, the main guys from uh, the Smosh brand. Um, she took a cardboard cut out of him to prom last year and she was full human sized. And Aww. she she was not. You know, you, you sort of have this vision of, of what that internet-y person that takes a person, you know, a cut, cardboard cut out of a YouTube star to the prom. <laughs> this is not it. She she looks, talks, acts like a sweet high schooler. Like she could have gotten her own a different date. No doubt. No, if she wanted to. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know her personally, but uh, I wouldn't say she's in, you know, she's in a fine position seemingly to, to get a date to prom. Right. And she didn't. She took a cardboard cut out of a, a YouTuber that she had That's a great fantastic. relationship with. It's fantastic. Totally. And so the fact that, that the younger end of the spectrum wants to celebrate those connections in that kind of way mm-hmm. outside of the logo t-shirt is so fun and I'd actually put the question to you for somebody that works with brands we talked about risk earlier but we haven't talked about the risk from the brands directly yep. as you sit there in, in innovation you know I, I think that's a one of the toughest jobs considering what I think some clients do and some clients won't do right. is how do you give people that uh, suggestion or wink or a nod that says you got to go in this way even if you know that they're, they're not going to do that right. uh, and, and there's probably no you know silver bullet here but how are you managing that conversation on the brand side i mean i feel like a lot of it is you know dipping your toe in the water you know don't go in with the big felix Baumgartner space jump idea like off the bat right you know you give them something that they that you can win at as a service provider mm-hmm. and you go okay like i this is my surefire bet and it, it may be a little bit skewed to the left of what's normal um and you you've, you have to plan for those incremental successes you talk about like the longer process of you know creativity i think the same thing happens when you're servicing a brand right you go you you realize that you're going to have a longer hopefully relationship with them um and as long as you have a few case studies and some information to you know kind of prove your case um, this is a, a big thing at Machinima, for instance. You know, one thing that we did talk a lot about was our engagement, right? And we could metrically prove that our engagement was higher than the most competitor, you know, uh, platforms. And so that's kind of like your foot in the doors. That that one shiny thing that you can say, hey, you know, like my, the company I work with now, we won a Clio Award for a bioreactive concert we did with Pepsi, and you go. 
all right, I can start with that as a shiny thing and like, oh, this works, you know, and and then you kind of go like, here's some other things and here's some thoughts and you, you get a feel for what they actually, the people in the room, you know, will gravitate to. I think a lot of times it's, you know, um, we forget that we're talking to people, right? Like we get so stuck on the idea and you're like, the idea is great. And then, but you know, I have a, an early career as a standup, doing standup comedy and you cannot do the same set, you know, twice in the, in the same night, right? Like you, you're going to have to listen to the audience and know like, okay, fix this thing this way, this, you know, or talk about this subject a little bit more because that's where this, this audience is gravitating to same person, same content, but just a different, different audience. So how do you work with brands, Andy? Lay, us, <laughs> lay some jokes on us, Chris. I, I, he la- Derek wouldn't laugh out loud, so that's, I, it kind of shut down my, my ego. Oh, he wouldn't laugh out loud? I am laughing. No, like, I'm Kid. over here. Yeah. <laughs> he's tired. Um, no, I, mean, I think we, we probably all deal with uh, some brand relationships, and, and you know, Barefoot Walt Wines was a partner at Prank It Forward. They were on set. They were wearing headphones. They are in the war room. They are working with us on how we can make that work, and at the moment where we celebrate this fact that it's her house, we crack open barefoot bubbly which is a product they were trying to launch in a, in a tasteful way and it's the kind of thing where you know it passes the smell test when other people are talking about right. the organic way to do a brand integration and we didn't pitch it it's just people thought that was a that was a tasteful way to do it now and for a every, tasty way to do it you know for every partner that's like that there's a partner who who says you know we, we've got to start with these beautifully designed motion cards and we have to talk about the brand message and i'm not saying there's not a place for that in some content that we create and we've absolutely done it i just right. think if you're leaning on us for our expertise we do have to find that middle ground uh, and it, it's a tricky it's a tricky place where I know you live as well uh, yeah. of how do you put them in a position to be super successful in the world that we know while at the same time making sure that people do remember that it was the biometric concert for right. Pepsi versus yeah. somebody else I also think I mean it's also like the add-on right let's do the one thing that we know will be successful like the popping of the champagne like we know that will be successful and then we'll go and then what we can do let's test this out and see if this works right like we're gonna see you know i'm making this up obviously this is the bad pitch but you go like we want other people toasting to this moment you know they're gonna create that as a social movement at the same time and so you've already got the one thing that we were safe on and then you go like but let's try this one little experiment that won't cost us a lot of money you know it could be free even but um, but just like adding th- adding a layer or two on top of the thing that that works. Wait, I I try to do again. I'm such a um, an advocate for my creative people. Is um, I ask them who who's your dream sponsor? Who do you want to see? And then it's so interesting because people who you know are connected to their creative and they don't want to see it bastardized by you know right. splashed around with whomever doesn't fit with them. So we get an exhaustive list of like, who could you see sponsoring this? And and these guys, you know, I mean, most people who are creatives are also have a great business sense, especially in this digital space where you've had to do it all for a while. Um, so then I like to bring the creative people pitching to the brands, hmm. the creative and the impetus right. for that and how they see them um, involved. I mean, I had one that's just... Um, it was so obvious, but I mentioned that we did an animated series based on the Small World ride, yep. and we actually brought it to Rosetta Stone. And so they, Rosetta Stone, that you know, the the Small World, uh, the animated series was about kids who all get in a hot air balloon, they travel around the world, and they land in different places, and they learn different things about the world. And Rosetta Stone is trying to make the world smaller by 
um, people knowing languages. And so we did a custom episode of Ro- uh, Rosetta Stone where we had these kids visit the Rosetta Stone and learn what the Rosetta Stone was, which is where the company got the name. So it's not a person. It's not a person. Damn. Always, always, I've, been, I've had it wrong Ms. all Rosetta. the time. <laughs> um, I was like, what does she look like? I want to see what this woman that speaks can, all these languages can, looks like. You can stop searching LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Miss Stone. Anyway, so, you know, that's a that was a, a, a real easy match. I mean, right. you have to still sell them and get the distribution and get all this. Right. But um, but I again, it's just like if you can just if 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 I'm working with the right creatives who it's really coming from their gut, whatever they're creating, and then you can ask them to wrap around the business sense of it. I feel like it's a great place to start if you're going out and pitching. And I know you're working with brands where you got to, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's it, the right organizations that they can put themselves in a position to be really successful there. I think it gets tricky when we people pitch us a lot. Right. So they come mm-hmm. to us and say, I've got this show or I've got this site you should work with. And it's so funny that there's three there's like two or three brands which always rise to the top. And back, you know, when, when uh, I was on the, the legacy break media side of the business, cause we, we had a merger last year. It was very male focused. A murder? Uh, who, who, no, who mer- murder. Merger. This is, <laughs> we we had a murder it. last year. Adnan. Uh, so no, we, we, um, everybody would come to us and say, this is perfect for acts. And it was so funny it's after, funny. Oh, after yeah. a while, it was Everything like, was. it was like, great. Cause I have this world war three phone set up in my office that I just pick it up. And we just, it's like an ATM. We just give Axe <laughs> dollars all day long. And it became such a funny, shiny example of every single person mm-hmm. in the outside world who thought we had a product that they should sell or represent or work with was, this is like, we were thinking Axe or Red Bull, right. it's like good on you. Uh, you know, we, we work with them, but that's not the only people we work with. And, and the good chances, if we work with them well or not, they're not just sitting there waiting for all this stuff that you brought us. But, uh, but yes, if you have that kind of strategic relationship, I think those are the best places to start, uh, building content together because there's a certain amount of trust that's built over time. And also the integration of it comes from the creative side. So it's, they're protecting their creative, right? right? Yeah, totally. But they're also trying to do good creative on behalf of the person who's now making this possible. I used to always find like you, you kind of play the role of translator too when you're dealing with you know content creators who may not have been in a business room ever mm-hmm. in their lives. You're dealing with a 17, 19, 23 year old person who's been making content in their parents' home for you know the last five years. Yeah. And you go, um, they need help in translating that concept into something that a, a you know a CMO will go, okay, cool. Uh, well, let's do it. Uh, but I'm going to switch gears for a second um, because uh, we're running a little bit short on time. However, uh, Marga, you've done a lot of work in reaching moms, right? Mm-hmm. And especially like, you, you know, uh, the, the the family dynamic structure. Uh, Derek, you're a parent, obviously, <laughs> unshaven. Um, I have my, my son's second birthday was last night. Uh, I shaved. Nice. Congratulations. <laughs> um, but then I, I read a quote from you, Andy, is like, we found that men are not only purchasing in greater numbers, but in many cases, they are the ones actually making the brand decisions. And so we're, I, I think we're in a, at a point in time where like family dynamics and family structure are changing. You know, you look at divorce rates, gender equality, um, you know, what what have you, and how families operate are a lot different, as, as well as how, obviously, the kids are consuming the content. Um, so what are just, I don't know, some of the, how do you guys pay attention to you know, the, the family structure and the decision maker, especially when you're working with brands or you're just trying to reach and expand your audiences for the content that you already have? Well, it's very interesting that you say, because when, when I was working um, with Disney family exclusively and we acquired Babbel during that time and, 
it was all about reaching moms and using moms. And there was so much discussion about what about dads? You know, I could rattle off 10 stay home dads that I know. And the people at the office went about dads. And from a marketing standpoint, it was still about moms, right? right? Because the numbers made it such that you had to go for moms. And there really wasn't. Uh, a term, you know, sort of a term besides parent, but didn't really gravity. And you're talking about you're tapping into communities and it was a mom community. Now, even at Babbel, they have a pretty strong dad vertical also. They have a couple strong bloggers, but we would we were targeting moms and we use that. I think that'll probably shift, sure. be shifting more. Um, so it was, you know, they were, you had your moms and we had, we had our mom, we were following a lot of blogging communities and we had our dad blogging communities and they would be at each other's events and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think it's about, I think it's just, you know, the dads, even though they're making brand decisions and they're stay home dads, they still are often not consuming the same media that their moms are. So you are going to reach them in different ways and in different places. Right. And maybe with a slightly different message. So I don't know. The, I, I'm my my instincts tell me that it'll become more streamlined. Right. Um, but right now, and from what my experience has been, it's you you have to you you have to divide and conquer. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're seeing. You know, you look at even a few years ago with Swagger Wagon from Toyota, where it showed a parenting dynamic that was both parents were involved. I don't know if you guys remember that black and white rap video was outstanding. Um, and it was no, a, that was awesome. Was, it was Swagger Wagon. Yeah, I mean, the dad rapping. They should just release a vehicle called the Swagger Wagon. It was the Sienna, right? So they had this. They, they, I don't like that name. I mean, it didn't make no sense. I would buy a Swagger Wagon. Well, do some Googling. You can find yourself the Swagger Wagon <laughs> the video. And it was about a dad who was trying to wrestle with this idea of being a minivan owner. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was outstanding. I, I think it is does speak to balance mm-hmm. when I you know I have a four month old and so I'm going through this process over the last month you look of, too good for that uh, well uh, look at these guys I took the 4am the feeding yeah, so I, sure. I, I'll hit the wall here in a second but um, but the amazing thing has been over that stretch of the last nine months where you're buying stuff you just never would have bought before and you're getting books from people and you get things like the caveman's guide to fatherhood I take that as a dig and that's not because I'm this radically progressive dad or I'm, you know, I'm not a stay at home dad, but I'd like to think that I'm more involved or more balanced. And when I get a book that's called, I didn't fault the person who gave it to me. I, I love them. But the, just the fact that that's how mm. a lot of people are thinking and approaching, mm-hmm. this is how dads want. That's not how dads talk. They want to be involved. And there's some products that I've really gotten in on said, this is great, or this is not great, or this monitor right. should be thrown away or whatever. And I think that dynamic has changed. We poured a bunch of, uh, of resources into researching men, the change dynamics. Some of that's been fathers. Some of that's just been consumers and you're seeing a, a totally different type of guy and marketers i think some are are understanding how they want to talk to that new era of men and masculinity some are not you know huggy's got a lot of uh, of um heat last year when they had their doofus dad commercial that they had to pull and it was um the premise was these moms had left these dads uh, over the course of a weekend and it was like mayhem, right? There, it was like three men and a baby. Right. And all these dads spoke out that not just the dad bloggers, but guys were like, this is not fair. Oh, and, man. No. Uh, yeah. I, it, I, 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 think, like, I think of Daddy Daycare, right? It was one of my favorite movies. And it is like, it was just, it was a, it, yeah, I think also, and maybe audiences don't realize this, but sometimes, uh, that ability to sort of laugh at yourself or just like mm. it's it's it obviously it's a humor 
Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, oh, like it, it was not a socio-political statement, right? It was, it was definitely. <laughs> I, I think I would imagine that was surprise backlash. It was definitely. So they pulled the, the national ad by and they regrouped and relaunched New Creative. And the New Creative was on the complete other end of the spectrum. It was 10 dads sitting in a semicircle <laughs> in baby rockers, all holding a kid and talking about, you know, being a dad while whispering over their kids sleeping. Um, I think those babies all must have been, you know, Cabbage Patch kids because there's no way that <laughs> exactly. the, the sleeping would have happened that uniformly. But, you you know, it was it was, I think, an interesting time to see an, an advertiser uh, respond and then sort of pay tribute to the people that they had sort of put in, in an awkward position. Um, excuse me. Well, you guys know the show is called Innovation Crush. I hope at least most of you do. Um, and so uh, we do ask, like, what are you guys crushing on um, that's out there that's innovative? Who do you look to in the world? You go like this person is crushing it. What do you have a crush on? Uh, Derek, I'll start with you because you obviously had to scour the land to find such a great group of um, advisory board members. Um, you have what is like another nine or uh, or ten. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we couldn't fit, fit, fit them all in the room. So thank you guys for, for being here. Totally. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about virtual reality being in Los Angeles at a time when things are moving pretty quickly I, I, you know just in looking at the active and passive hardware that's on the market um, yeah there's a company called Servios that is uh, doing some really exciting work in the hardware and software and the gaming experience is going to be dramatically different you know two years out three years out it's even even like you know there's some products in the market now that are really cool um, but what you can do with this platform, just not for gamers, but anybody creating a content experience right. um, through VR, um, you know, software or hardware, it's amazing. You can travel to another part of the world right in your living room and experience it the same way you would if you were on the ground in that space. And um, I think publishers, advertisers. I want to go to spring break. <laughs> exactly. That's what I want. Or relive spring break. <laughs> My wife just busts in the living room. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm yeah. dancing in the, <laughs> so that, that's the what I have. Around. That, that's my question right that's now awesome. at, this, at this moment. I, some people have sort of said, yeah, VR in um, you know, 2015 is going to be more the same. It, you know, I, think, I, think, I, I think those people you know, have, haven't really experienced it the way that I think they should to really see what the potentials are and how quickly people are going to move to take it to the next level. 100% agree. I'm going to be such the not geeky Girl, I mean, the thing that I'm crushing <laughs> Are on right now. Are you looking for something? Like no, that too? Hey, no, there's girl. no right answer. There's a wrong answer, so thank you, Derek. No, just okay. kidding. There's no. <laughs> you know, I, I think that I'm crushing on the um, democratization of uh, of the content creation and just how much accessibility there is. I really, really like newcomers. Um, and they're, they're coming and doing it. And, you know, it's kind of your first time in it. You get the to to run on the ignorance is bliss fuel. Right. Um, but I, I've always loved that sort of the hunger and the willingness and the openness. And and I feel like in, in any business, you just get used to doing things the same way for so long. And you you, you lose really the ability to a new way to, to new ways to doing it. Yes. Um, so, you know, I love um, that storytelling um, can come from any place and that because there's so many different ways to get your story out there right. um, there's just so much more opportunity um, I like also that the bar continues to get higher for I think in the technology space it's like the it's all about the quantity the quantity how many views and you know how many videos you have and all this and I think that the bar is raising now to quality really matters sure. like if you just get to the, the point 
So, um, so that, you know, the accessibility for the people who have good stuff, they're going to be able to get in there. And, um, I really love that. I mean, I told you, I love that boyhood one and I love that Amazon yeah. one just because it's mixing it up and it's creating a lot of opportunity for a lot of new people who may not be in the inner circles. And, um, and I love that. Yeah. I find that you, you, I find that iterative process with a lot of new technologies, new platforms. There's a point by which you're like you're just doing stuff because you can, you know, because oh this thing can do this. And then there's a point by which that's happened enough times that you go like, all right, now let's start being creative with it, right? You look at the evolution of the film process. Like before, it was like, oh, a train's coming at the audience, and they like were terrified at it, you know. And then you start adding like more storytelling on top of it, and more technology that made film making an even you know broader process and what you were able to do and so I think it, it just starts to grow like you move from that position of quantity to quality and, and right and filter. you know we always talk about the, the 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 technology that we use in our storytelling not so being a crutch right that that we you we have the first animatronic lead it, it that can't be a lead that has to be natural yep. because the lead has to be, this is a fantastic story. Yep. Right. And then the backstory is how you brought it to fruition and whether it was more efficient from an economical standpoint, or it was just, you know, the first of its kind yep. or that kind of stuff. But the story, the quality, of the story, the quality, of the content has to be the lead. You know, I worked, I'm going to tell my age now, but I worked at AOL in like 95 and we were, You'd, and After we, that, but, okay. <laughs> like, oh, you said ninety five. I thought you were. But it was like we were. I was. I was. I had my dog and pony show going to advertising agencies up and down Madison Avenue. Right. This is like it was seven hundred thousand members AOL. You know, I was doing presentations without a. I am like alternate screen name, whatever. I can tell you the IMs that I got during some of my advertising agencies. <laughs> Ah, really like your peaches want to shake your tree. And I was like, ah! <laughs> anyway, um, so it was a all about, quote, that's all. I know it was all about, um, we used to say it, people wanted to know how the airplane flew, right. About what was behind the walls. We don't have to talk about that anymore. Right. It's like all the pipes are there. The distribution works. Yes. I mean, obviously there's strategy and there's finesse and that kind of stuff. But now it's about the business of the entertainment, the content that like, what's the real life thing. And, that, that you're making happen now that all of our infrastructure is, is commodity. Right. And so it's a great, great time. So I'm happy I'm still around and now I'm more excited than it. Cause before I was always scratching my head and just like hearing about all the new technology what and how it works. Mean? Just exactly. like, can you tell me like I'm a third grader? Okay. Tell me like I'm a second grader or whatever. Now you don't really have to understand right. that, you know, so much. And it's just, it is, and it does work. And now what are you going to serve up on it? Exactly. Uh, crushing on. So uh, you mentioned quality. Uh, I think that I've been crushing on um, sort of this this reinvention of a lot of brands who have focused on quality and craftsmanship and how they're now telling that story. It's been fun to see brands. Um, Patagonia's had a pretty cool year, mm-hmm. um, and you know they always get a lot of credit for some of the the, the strides that they make. But they they launched a documentary called Damnation, and um, it was you know feature length documentary, and it took a pretty strong position about taking down uh, some of these dams that are built around the world and it wasn't you know there wasn't like a share this with the hashtag damnation and we'll give to this it was this is just our it was 
clearly one side of the spectrum didn't feature products didn't do any it was right. it was their place to to tell a story uh, and then they've done a very cool job uh, on some other fronts of of telling their, you know their product story in a cool way and then then other brands who are saying you know Pendleton or Danner Boots or some of these people who are older stodgier brands by reputation but are reinventing themselves in a cool way and saying wow people are gravitating back towards these things which are crafted well uh, so I've been uh, crushing this probably not how I would have put it necessarily but I've been you know, definitely noticing how people are telling that story in, well, it's, in, it's, it's, you're telling the story you want to tell because you want to tell it and you feel like it's a story right and there is no there's there's no um, uh, agenda yeah. behind it other than like you you know you are, you are a brand and you decided to tell you know, yeah but seeing brands you, you know, you come, to, come to the table with their own ideas and content that that isn't you know isn't necessarily commercial in nature exactly. it, it's it stands on its own right I think uh, has been a lot of fun to see uh, whether they're creating it themselves whether they're working with partners to create it there's there's some good stuff out there um, last but not least everybody has to go through this so I'm sorry um, and who wants to go first I'm going to ask that anybody well I will okay good there you go uh, complete this phrase for me mm-hmm. innovation to me is does it have to be one word and it does not whatever it is to you you know I listened to this uh, speaker at Disney who's in charge of innovation or who is uh, in our technology um, department. It's like, if there is ever a head of innovation, it's just a ridiculous role because everybody's responsibility is to constantly be innovating. So I always, you know, it's, it's sort of just what is and it's, it's air. You know, innovation <laughs> to me is like air. It, you awesome. have to be doing yeah. it in this space or y- you won't exist. It is a, exist. a, a bare necessity. <laughs> that's great. No, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's really powerful. Just, it's air. It's, how you, it's what you need. And it's, uh, it's a fundamental. That's great. Gentlemen? It's like a Mexican standoff all of a sudden. Something so prophetic, but uh, I think the, uh, I I was talking to a friend of mine recently who was at 500 Startups, and he was talking about all the ideas that come to the door, and and they they invest in a lot of companies, and um, he he was talking to me about ideas, and he was like, just so quick to write off ideas. Like, ideas are so cheap, it's all about execution, and you have to have the right team, and the more I thought about it, you know, innovation to me is, is being able to see a good idea and make it a great idea, but also see the okay ideas and just say they're okay. I think a lot of times we just get so wrapped up in it was okay. It was an okay idea, but we thought it was great and right. we just ran with it. And, and so I think the people that are truly innovating are taking a good idea and making it a great idea. And, um, you know, when you think about the, the people that we all want to put in the innovative camp of the Ubers and the whatever else, um, they don't just have, you know, good products by and large. They have really great ones. And they, they, yeah. they, they you know, the idea at, we were actually talking a couple weeks ago about Uber and uh, it seems so simple, uh, but they've done something to make it perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know that's that's what makes it innovative. Well, it's, you know, some people will will say that it's the like Ashton Kutcher spoke at uh, CES recently, and you know, is like he, when he invests, he's like, I want to invest in that one thing. And I go like, Oh yeah, of course. Like, uh, who wouldn't want to ride in the black car, right? Like, you know, and do it without having to ex- actually exchange money uh, themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what, let me add to my because I think sure. innovation, uh, you you see it when it happens you know it's like you can be innovating the the poo out of the day but you know innovation when it happens right um 
so yeah, so it's it's kind of you. It's after the fact, right? Yeah, very much so. It's it's really it's it's the outcome of it. It's elegance at its best. It's very simple, but like aha, you know. It's, yeah. It's 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 hard to describe without seeing it. But when you see it, you know it. Mm-hmm. You know it's innovative. It, yeah. You know. It was. It's like I, I always refer to like the goosebump moment. Like you go, ah, like it's just that one thing you go, wow, that was really smart. And, you know, it, it, but there is a whole process that goes behind it. But um, but I want to thank you guys for for coming by today. Thank this is you. This was awesome. Um, great way to kick off the year. Um, thank you so much. I don't know. How can people find you guys online, Twitter, um, get to your events? Sure. Uh, so on and so forth. Let's 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 do the shameless plugs. You sure. plug away. You you got it. You got it. some plugging to do right now. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. So our engaged digital storytelling conference is happening on February second at Sony. Uh, you can just go into Google and type "engage the LA digital storytelling conference" and that will take you to the landing page um, for the conference with all the pertinent details. Awesome. And I will be at the Engage LA conference wearing my Prank It Forward t-shirt. <laughs> nice. You'll be able to stop You heard it here Double first, plug. folks. <laughs> <laughs> Double plug. That's, that's, uh, that's hard to pull off. Dude. We don't get a lot of those on the show. I tried. That. That Mashup culture. Uh, I'm easy to find, uh, uh, but I'm not worried about me. You can connect with a bunch of our different brands and content. You can follow at Defy Media. I'm at Two Man Foo, if that's interesting to you. But Shameless not, and selfless. Yeah, I know, but I'm also, uh, I'm, I'm not a great Twitter follower right now, but you know, maybe someday. <laughs> For obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. You're busy. Uh, That's why you don't have time to tweet. No, I should start a handle called 4 a.m. feeding. And then I'll just start to tweet all the great ideas I have at 4 a.m. With the picture. Yeah, no doubt. It's It's usually just pitch dark. (laughs) All right, everyone. This has been another installment of Innovation Crush. And uh, we will talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it. On the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleisinger. Schleisinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash wait for it comedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.